This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu, and with me... As always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello. This is our second installment from our special three-episode series, I Deserve This, which celebrates all the ways we travel for ourselves, whether it's by furthering our education, finding a private slice of peace and quiet, or simply spending those hard-earned savings guilt-free. For this week's chat, we're catching up with Kat Mason, Wine Communications Manager at Cloudy Bay, New Zealand, who knows a little bit about what it's like to travel for yourself. Originally from the UK, she up and moved to New Zealand along with her daughter back in 2013, and when she's not wine tasting for work at Cloudy Bay's Marlborough Estate, she's exploring everything the country has to offer and beyond. Thanks for joining us, Kat. Thanks for having me. I feel like I would very much like to trade places with you right now <laughs> in New Zealand. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably dreaming about making a big life change and maybe moving someplace new right now. So talk us through what it felt like to make such a massive decision for yourself and your daughter when you moved to New Zealand back in 2013. Yeah, it was it was really interesting, actually. It sort of it was very easy and very hard at the same time. I had been really fortunate um, the year before we moved to go to New Zealand as part of a, an educational scholarship. I was studying um, wine at the time and I was able to come to Marlborough and I stayed in Marlborough for about four weeks, traveling around lots of different wineries and learning about the industry and actually got to stay at the, the Cloudy Bay Shack, which was amazing. It was a, a great moment to stay at an iconic place that I'd, I'd sort of known um, from the wine industry in the UK since I'd started working there. Um, so it was incredible to be able to do that. And um, during that time, I sort of traveled around the region, spent time with lots of different people, spent time in nature, spent time um, just learning. And uh, when I came to leave, I felt heartbroken and um, it was a very strange experience. So when I um, got home to the UK, I found myself sort of feeling homesick for for New Zealand. And um, it was it was an odd moment. I sort of felt a bit guilty initially and it sort of was like, well, you know, I shouldn't feel like this. I should be really pleased to be at home. And But it was the right moment in my career to make a change. And I thought, well, why not actually just make a big change? Um, I'd never taken the opportunity to sort of do those big dramatic um, year out type travels when I was younger. I'd sort of rushed at everything. I'd gone straight from school to uni to work with very little gap in between. And it just got to that point where I sort of thought, well, if you don't do it now, you never actually will. 
um, my daughter was four years old at the time um, that I was thinking about it. And it was, you know, the older she gets, the harder it is to to drag her away from friends. And, you know, I was like, well, if you don't go, you know, you'll never know whether it's the right thing to do. And so I started looking for work and uh, the, the perfect job actually came up um, relatively quickly. So that bit was easy. Getting a visa and all of that kind of uh, political stuff was a little bit harder. But um, yes, yeah, so I moved out to New Zealand almost exactly a year to the day after I'd arrived in New Zealand for my scholarship the year before. So it was kind of one of those beautiful circular moments. And now because I work at Cloudy Bay, it's quite funny. I get to go to the shack and I can see where I signed um, the visitor's book <laughs> in the guest house there. And it's sort of like, oh, you know. It was meant to be, um, you know, it was, it was the inspiration um, that I needed to make that sort of big life change. You said something really interesting, which was that when you realised that you were feeling homesick for New Zealand, this place that you'd spent four weeks in, that you felt guilty. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you think was making you feel guilty? Um, I think because I'd spent that time um, away from my, my daughter sort of made the decision to spend that sort of four weeks away from her, that when I came home, you know, I knew that I should feel, you know, over the moon to be back um, to normal life, you know, and I wasn't unhappy in my, in my life. And it was, it was just quite jarring. You know, I remember sitting on the plane, leaving New Zealand and and actually crying, you know, (laughs) because I didn't want to go. And, And that sort of moment of, but I should want to leave because I should be focusing on seeing seeing my daughter again. And of course I was over the, you know, I was over the moon to see her, but then I wasn't able to just settle back down into what had been my normal life. I, I couldn't quite get my sort of feet back on the ground again um, and sort of not settle, but it was sort of, you know, go back to, the, to what I've been doing before. And I just felt this immense sense of um, wanting to change things, but knowing that changing in the way that I wanted to change them was very, very um, disruptive, I suppose. You know, it would be taking um, my daughter away from her grandparents, um, away from everything that she'd, you know, known so far, but also knowing, you know, feeling very strongly that it was the right thing for us um, and feeling very strongly that I could give her an immensely better quality of life doing what I would end up doing in New Zealand and living where I would be able to live and experiencing all the different sort of lifestyle um, possibilities here compared to where I was in the UK. So the kind of, you know, very in touch with nature um, kind of life, being able to be outside a lot more, a slightly slower pace as well, a more seasonal sort of life as well that we eat very seasonally here. And, and those sort of things I felt were really appealing um, a bit of bit more connection to, I don't know what the word is really, but a, it's a natural life, but without being a hippie. Um, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, kind of acknowledging the rhythms of nature. And I think working for um, a winery like Cloudy Bay as well, you're constantly in touch with the rhythms of nature because you're, you're always seeing the vines changing. You're always looking at the processes in the winery. You're there's a there's a pattern to your year that kind of dictates everything that you do. And I found that very appealing um, compared to my life in the UK, which was that every day was almost the same. If you, if you wanted to to do anything, you could do it. And it wasn't, you know, even like with, with cooking, for example, in the UK, you can go and buy 
anything at any time of the year and it costs the same. Whereas I now live in a country where I went to buy a cucumber yesterday and it was $6. And so I did not buy that cucumber. <laughs> and, and, but I think it's quite a healthy way to live. And I think, I think in, in lots of ways, you know, coming here for that longer period of time, initially that four months and just seeing a different, it wasn't just a snapshot. It was a kind of more in-depth being able to see what life could be. It made a huge difference. I spent two weeks at the beginning of last year with my family traveling around New Zealand, and it's still probably one of the most, you know, I'm like in my late 20s, but one of the most formative trips that I've ever Mm. taken because it really was so unbelievably stunning and took me so far out of like the stress of being in New York. Um, And I actually remember we spent a couple days in the north of the South Island at Abel Tasman National Park, just zipping around to all the beaches and just really relaxing. And the only time we rushed that entire trip, to be completely honest, was we were going to take the ferry across from the South Island to the North Island. And along the way was Cloudy Bay. And my mom was like, we have to be there right when it opens (laughs) so that we can get there, um, have like a flight of wine and then get to the ferry. And again, you know, rushing is is a very loose term, but it was so just beautiful to go from this incredible beachy fluorescent water of the national park to the vineyard to at 11 o'clock in the morning be drinking a flight of wine (laughs) to then get on the ferry to go to Wellington and I can only imagine after like after two weeks I was trying to convince my brother to like move there for a year so that I could visit him Um, but what was it about New Zealand in those four weeks that you were there that made you want to stay that made you feel guilty or or miss it after just that amount of time I think it was, it was a lot of different factors. I think um, I was made to feel incredibly welcome by the industry, by, you know, everyone that I met. And I think that that had a big impact. There was, it was, you know, the personalities behind the wines, um, the, you know, all the amazing dinners that were shared and the wines and the stories behind the wines. I, I love a good story. I'm a, from a family of storytellers. So, um, you know, with, with older wineries, they're like, like Cloudy Bay, you know, sort of founded in the 1980s, one of the first wineries. There's a lot of stories, there's a lot of mythology already within those first 30 years. So I loved just spending time with the people that were there at the beginning and and listening to them tell tales about, you know, how Marlborough really got started. But I think also it was, I guess, like the purity of experience, I suppose is probably the best way to put it. The, the native bush is never far away. Um, you know, you can get into really quite wild nature, very, very close to a field full of vineyards. You know, it's you don't have to travel for days to find yourself in the wilderness. You can you can find yourself lost in this lush, um, like you said, just like evergreen, you know, surrounded by colour. It was just a very raw, I suppose, is probably the best way to put it. It wasn't glossy. It wasn't varnished. There wasn't this kind of luxury experience that made it feel very false it was just people who were passionate about wine who were passionate about the region you know telling stories but letting me experience it so like just showing me I mean one of my first days on that trip I was just given a car 
and told to drive out to this vineyard that was very, very far away. And I did think that I'd got lost several times. And I think I got to the end of the drive and there was me. And I've been told, you know, you'll come to a fork in the road. Don't go right. Definitely go left and they'll meet you. And I went left and there was just a gate. And on the other side of that gate, I honestly think it was every sheep in New Zealand. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I just sat there and I was like, I don't, I'm not really a country girl. Um, But I know that if I open that gate, those sheep are going to come through that gate and that can't be good. But there was no signal. There was no phone signal. And then um, I was like, I I just don't know what to do. And I was sort of like paralyzed there. And then eventually this guy on a, you know, on a quad bike came shooting down the mountain, sort of (laughs) yelling at me, don't open the gate. (laughs) He was like, oh, they should have told you to go right at the forks, not left. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was that kind of just, oh, I live in, you know, this world is a world where there's not signal, where you have to use some common sense, where it's just, yeah, it was just a very different, a different life, but still a very comforting community to be part of as well. Are you ever minding your own business when you start to wonder, how do killer whales work? Who are Hollywood's paparazzi? Did British sailors get it on in the 1800s with each other? I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week on Getting Curious, I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Honey, we explore everything around here with scientists, historians, activists, entertainers, and other brilliant guest experts. You can join me every Wednesday for an all-new topic with an all-new expert on Getting Curious. Listen to Getting Curious wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Your describing these sort of like amazing and quite sort of adventurous travel experiences and I'm wondering sort of before you made your move and had that four-week experience in New Zealand was wine something that you had discovered through travel um, or was wine a means of you getting to travel kind of which one came first? Oh that's interesting no uh, I was brought up, if I say I was brought up drinking, that doesn't sound right. But um, <laughs> it's English person to English person, it's fine. <laughs> um, my, father, my father is a French teacher and he had spent a lot of time in France when he was studying himself. And so he was very into wine. And my, my grandfather on that side of the family as well was very into wine. And so there'd always been wine in our family. Um, I did discover wine or decide that I wanted to have a career in wine when I was at university, studying something extremely esoteric and rather pointless, but um, decided, you know, halfway through probably my university degree that I really wanted to have a career in wine. And wine probably did open quite a lot of doors for me um, in terms of traveling, Um, mostly in Europe. So, you know, where I ended up working, I was really fortunate that I was able to go to France probably two or three times a year to taste new vintages so to go to Bordeaux go to Burgundy um I was able to go to Italy to tour around Tuscany and and um, taste wine there as well which was probably one of my favorite 
trips. It was like a a summer holiday on work. It was it was wonderful. It was uh, um, my friend and I um, traveling around in a little Fiat Cinquecento and um, driving around the vineyards of of Tuscany and getting totally lost in towns that we weren't meant to have driven into in the first place. <laughs> kind of. Um, but again, I think actually there were quite a lot of comparisons between the experience in Tuscany and what I experienced in New Zealand actually was that openness and the stories and that sort of connection of wine with people and with place um, became very, very important to me as as part of what makes a great wine. And I think those experiences, those moments where you have an opportunity to experience something that's quite other end up quite seared in your memory. And I think, you know, they do drive you, they do provide inspiration for your next steps in life. And I think, you know, or how you want to live or how you want to be remembered. Um, I think it's great to be able to, to travel like that. When you were talking about your drives to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you sound like quite a spontaneous traveler. So what, talk to us about like the way you travel and maybe the way that that's changed over the years as your daughter has been brought more into how you travel. As um, my daughter's got older, obviously she's not, she's really great actually. I mean, she's my only child. And and I think because she has spent a lot of time around grownups and because we've always been quite explorative and what we eat. She, she's not difficult from a sort of foreign food perspective. She'll always eat anything. Um, but she does want to kind of slow down or do activities that interest her. So for example, we've just come back from a short break um, in um, Golden Bay, actually in that Abel Tasman area. Um, but we went horse riding. So she's been horse riding for a little while now and but she really wanted me to go and um I haven't ridden a horse for a very long time and in fact the last time I rode a horse before this last time was well I ended up in an ambulance um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was sort of like I was you know it was quite a lot of trepidation but then you find we found ourselves you know we were on this beach riding horses with this crazy lady like this German lady that ran the riding school who was sort of quoting the Dalai Lama um, in very fierce German tones, kind of <laughs> about being one with the horse. And, and But you're riding on this beach and it was so utterly beautiful. And we were the only, you know, living things on the beach apart from the birds. Those moments. And it was great because it was shared with my daughter as well. You know, and, you know, you don't, you sort of, I think because she's mostly grown up here, like most of her memories are in New Zealand, I sort of have to every now and again sort of go, you do realise how lucky you are, you know. And um, we went back to the UK um, to see my family a couple of years ago. And I think after that, she was like, actually, New Zealand's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because she'd been sort of like, oh, you know, where we live is really quiet and, you know, I really want to live in a city. And, and she wouldn't know either way, but, like, she was like, I really want to live in a city. And I was like, okay, well, you know, when you're older, you can absolutely do that. You know, you'll go to university, you'll probably want to travel, you know, you can go and live wherever you want to live. And actually New York is, is where she wants to go, apparently. So, <laughs> um, But we went to London and she did really enjoy it. We did lots of things that she really loved, but she just was like, yeah, it's nice for a couple of days, 
but I wouldn't want to live there. You know, it's nice to come back and be on the vineyard and just be able to run around. And yeah, I think she suddenly realised that slow can be really good. And actually, when we were in the UK, we had to take some time out and go for walks, you know, and just be like, okay, we're going to, you and I, we're just going to go for a walk because it was just a lot. Um, and she was kind of almost like overstimulated. <laughs> um, and I don't mean it was, um, obviously it's always great to go back and see family, but yeah, it was interesting that it completely changed her perspective. Speaking of, you know, taking time outs, you know, obviously as you have just described to us, when you travel, it is very much you and your daughter. And of course you are prioritizing the experiences that you think she will enjoy the most and you think will be the most valuable for her. But how do you also make time for yourself, even if it is just 10 minutes or an hour here and there um, on a trip? How, how do you prioritise yourself when you can? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do. Um, there's probably two things, really. One is um, my daughter's dad actually lives in New Zealand, so we co-parent. And that does mean that I have time to travel and see things without her, um, which while the co-parenting thing can be hard, I think we've reached a really happy balance. Um, and I think we both see benefits of having the opportunity to, to experience life without always having to prioritise a small person. Um, so we've done quite a lot of travelling um, myself and my partner, where, it, where we have been able to take time away and also away from each other. They will have, we'll often have times where, you know, my, my partner will go and, you know, sit in the bar. He likes to people watch. So he'll go and sit in the bar and I'll, I'll walk. Um, and I do yoga. Um, that's a really big part of, of what I like to do. And particularly when I travel, because we often will stay somewhere where it's a uh, you know, a natural space or something. There's that opportunity to get into nature and and take time and peace to group thoughts and kind of reassess the experience, take moments to actually breathe in the place that you're in as well. And I've also, you know, been able to travel for work, um, not to wine regions, but to go to cities that I wouldn't normally have the opportunity to go to or wouldn't necessarily have chosen to go to. So um, and I've done that on my own and taken additional time on the back of work trips to go and experience. So, for example, in Singapore and Hong Kong to sort of go and be there for work for a couple of days, but then to tack on three or four days at the end to just as holiday to go and actually be part of a completely different experience from where we are in New Zealand. And, and like Hong Kong is nuts. Um, it's so busy and crazy and and and. But it's so much fun. And I think you, you need to hit reset sometimes. And, and for, for me, living in New Zealand, sometimes reset is to go to somewhere that's really bustling and crazy and full of people and to experience life at a faster pace and kind of queue up for dumplings and eat them on the run and, you know, go and um, go on the river and see the lights and feel that you know the noise and the crowds and the bustle and the heat and the humidity and and that kind of thing can sort of reset you as well you kind of gain a lot of energy from um experiencing something that's different and then bringing that energy back home into an appreciation of where you are and i think it's really important 
I think it's important for everybody to put themselves out of their comfort zones and to take those first steps. You know, for me, it was in the wine industry was, you know, a solo trip to a wine region to go and taste wine and having to drive around, learning to drive on the other side of the road, learning to make conversation with French winemakers when my French is not that great. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, sometimes you need a push, um, but sometimes you can push yourself. And I think, I think it's so important for people to travel if they can. Obviously, not so easy right now, but um, it's. Uh, I do think you know it is important to help your mind expand and grow and encounter different cultures, different ways of living, because you never know where the next step might take you. You never know whether you might then find yourself homesick for a place that you've just visited and moving there. So. Yeah, I think it's it's important. I really love that sentiment and that feels like such a full circle place for us to end this episode. Kat, if people want to keep up with what you are doing in New Zealand um, and what Cloudy Bay is up to, where can they find you on the internet and on social media? So um, for Cloudy Bay, uh, we are at Cloudy Bay on Facebook and Instagram. We've got some really cool stuff on there, some really fun stories from um, winemakers and people from our team as we try and bring a little bit of New Zealand to the people that can't travel. So um, we've also created some soundtracks. So if you search for Cloudy Bay on Spotify, um, you will find the From Our World to Yours soundtracks, which uh, we've created um, using natural sounds and sounds from the winery. So if you've got a moment in your life where you want to connect with New Zealand and with Cloudy Bay, I thoroughly recommend. I often have um, them just playing in the background when I'm working a quite good chill out tracks and a couple of them really good for yoga. And for me, I am at the wine cat on Instagram. So you can find me there. Perfect. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah. Be sure to follow Women Who Travel on Instagram and subscribe to our newsletter. Kat's information, as well as links to do all the things that we just talked about, will be in the show notes, and we will talk to you next week. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor. Let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.